John, they used to say a billion here, a billion there, and pretty soon you're talking about real money. Now what do we say? Well, with $2 trillion, it's kind of hard to tell, but let's figure out what's in the American Rescue Plan. Welcome to Care Talk, your American home for incisive debate about healthcare, business, and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. So, David, what is in this multi trillion dollar mountain of cash that's embedded in this recovery act. Are we building back better or are we just spending a lot of bucks? Well, we're spending a lot of bucks, John. And uh, it's American Rescue Plan. And you could call it the American Healthcare Rescue Plan. That might be that might be too much for it. But let me tell you- wait, wait, wait. Wasn't, that, wasn't that what the Republicans were saying? Oh, just give us a little trivial 77 to $800 million. They'll probably wouldn't have even voted for it anyways. They were sort of arguing that healthcare doesn't need trillions, it just needs billions. Well, John, all, actually what they were saying, the reason that it could be smaller is because you don't need all these fancy doctors in Washington, you just need Dr. Seuss. But uh, of what has actually passed here, at the 1.9 trillion, let's just call it 2 trillion, John, about 1 trillion of it, just over, uh, is for three things. One is this $1,400 direct payments that people have heard about. There's $350 billion to state and local governments, which uh, you know, Republicans were completely against. And then there is the expansion of uh, unemployment um, insurance. So all those together add up to about a trillion. And then there's everything else on top of it. And John, it, it's pretty fundamental stuff. Well, what, what, wait a sec. You just got to about a trillion. I mean, I'm just simple math here. And you didn't mention anything about healthcare. I mean, isn't this a healthcare bill? So healthcare is in the tens of billions. So the biggest thing uh, for healthcare is for actually for testing. So there's about $50 billion for a national. Finally, at the end of the pandemic, the government has decided to invest in testing, which we've been asking for for a while. Why is testing important, David? I mean, gee whiz, what, 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 what could go wrong if we don't know how much virus we have? Well, John, there's a certain logic to it, right? There's, it's maybe it's a final exam. That's why the testing is so big at the end. No, you're missing it. No, 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 no. We are seeing new variants that require sequencing, which currently there is no consistent standard for sampling the positive tests that come through that you want to sample, and you sample them and sequence them to understand how much of those dangerous new variants are populating the virus. I, I actually think it's it, they, they kind of missed the opportunity to explain we need to invest in testing as an early warning network and as a th- learning network about what kind of virus we have, because the COVID-19 is likely to be a, an endemic virus. So I think, no, I think that's a really important point. So I'm glad you hit that one. But no, this is a this is an important investment that was not terribly well explained. So that is the biggest part of it. Now, the immediate issue relates to vaccines. There's already money allocated for the development of vaccines, and now there's more for distribution. There's about $8 billion going to Health and Human Services and the Centers for Disease Control for promotion and distribution and monitoring of the vaccines, and then at least a billion dollars for awareness and engagement. That's really important because first we were talking about just getting the vaccine out um, to the communities, but now it's really a matter of encouraging people that they should use the vaccine. But a billion, like just 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 to throw away a billion because it's like we had we had to communicate. I I think that the 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 thing that I think it's hard for folks to understand and may justify why we're putting so much money out there is the scale of the human tragedy that's happened to you know, working class 
folks and poor folks as part of this devastating virus, which is really, you know, sort of um, unfairly and disproportionately harmed um, communities of color and poor communities, and also how spare and incomplete the healthcare infrastructure is in many of these communities. I saw support for rural health in this bill. I saw support for public health departments. I mean, we have $7 billion associated with really a new training, a new public health workforce, tracers, vaccine givers, basically new more arms and legs to make sure the vaccines get into people's arms, but also to support, hopefully, a revitalization of our public health infrastructure. Without that, uh, poor communities, whenever something like this happens, will be super vulnerable and they'll be disproportionately disadvantaged by illness on an everyday. But this is really an investment in public health that, David, I think it's as big as as, as those that uh, on, a, on a proportionate basis that Lyndon Johnson did in the era of the Great Society with, with all of the new, with all the investment he made in hospitals and federally qualified health clinics. John, we see that there is the uh, the funds for the community health centers, and also some things that are, are kind of uh, focused. So there's this uh, quarter of a quarter of a billion dollars, not much, uh, for nursing home strike teams. We saw you know major issues in uh, nursing homes that should never happen again. Uh, another hundred million for the medical reserve corps, which is something that you've touted, and eight hundred million for the national health service corps, and that actually helps pay for people to go to medical school who then serve in underserved communities. So there's a bunch of stuff that's directly related to you know treatment. But I think more fundamentally, some of the things, you know, that first trillion dollars that I glossed over uh, up front is also pretty important because you're actually providing, you know, these $1,400 payments can be thought of as, in a way, this universal basic um, income and unemployment insurance that allows people to, you know, to continue to, uh, uh, to exist and feed their families even uh, when, they, when they, don't have, they don't have a job. And then, John, I know you have been a long-term proponent. Uh, of child tax credits and well, before, you, uh, ability. before you go there, Dave, I do think there's a tectonic shift where the Republican leaders don't really understand what the Republican and independent voters are thinking. I mean, th- we've been in this era of of shame, blame, and shrink government since uh, Reagan, and and it's really undermined since the Republicans led by Reagan the ability for government to actually get support and perform. But if you look at the polls, I mean, shocking. Yeah, everyone knows that the majority of voters are in favor of this bill for for the reasons that you, for that that one, tr- the first trillion dollars, it's hard for me to get a trillion out, out of out there. But if you, if you ask people, you know, what they, what they care about in this bill, of independent and third-party voters want to see continued investments in job growth and the economic recovery. 77%, not surprisingly, of Democrats, but 61% of Republicans, the the anti-government party, those voters, uh, by a, a, a significant majority, are in favor of leveraging the government to invest in with government dollars, taxpayer dollars, to turn around the, the economy and and really build back better through the government. I, I think it's remarkable. And I think it's going to be, it's, it's a very interesting disconnect with no Republicans voting for this in the Senate. Um, um, almost, uh, I think, I think it would, it would, no or almost none in the House. T- 
to have 61% of Republican voters saying yeah, the government has to invest. I, I think it's, I think that the, the, um, at the long cost of Republican incompetence in the last administration may be a reset of expectations around what government's role is. I, I, I think it's remarkable, David. John, there were the uh, Reagan Democrats, and these may very well be the Biden Republicans that you're talking about. You know, one thing that should be noted is, is obviously um, during the Democratic primary, there was big focus on Medicare for all. And Biden was very clear that he wanted to build on Obamacare. No surprise, since it was part of his administration. And this bill does it, actually, in a, in a, in a way that was you know, doable at the time. We had Dan Mendelson on last week uh, talking about it. But you know, this expansion of subsidies to make it uh, more affordable uh, to have people to um, enter into the into the marketplace, Obamacare marketplace premiums, and then also an increasing federal match, so that the states that haven't uh, yet expanded Medicaid, there's still time, you know, for them to do it. And then adding on a few other things, like uh, making it so that that states have the option to cover low income women who just gave birth, they can cover them with Medicaid for a year. So they're all moving toward universal coverage, which is something that. You know, before in, in the previous um, thinking before the pandemic, some people might say, "Well, gee, I don't want someone to get a f- free stuff." You know, we heard that from previous uh, candidate Romney. But now it's more like, "I want my neighbor to have health insurance," you know, because I, I don't want people running around uh, with a virus unchecked. Well, I think I think it's also. I mean, there's a lot in here. If if you know, given how hard it is to get legislation passed, it feels like they stuck everything they possibly could into this legislation. But the tax credit that you're referring to, you know, which is pretty remarkable, um, it is a significant increase. Um, Americans will now have a higher tax benefit, up to thirty six hundred bucks a year for kids under six, and three thousand for older kids. Um, that credit is fully refundable, so low income and even no income families can fully benefit. What what this is tied to is we have a shockingly high level of child poverty in America, you know, fifteen um, um, uh, uh, million uh, 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 kids last week, and that when you've got kids locked in a cycle of poverty early on in life, uh, the research is quite clear that there are significant cognitive and healthcare disadvantages that follow. This tax credit literally cuts child poverty in half in America. And just to put that in context, I think, David, it's it's either one out of three or one out of every two babies born in America is born on Medicaid. So we have a ton of children who are born poor. If we can make sure that, they, that we can cut that poverty in half, we're going to cut our health care costs. So by rethinking sort of whole patient or whole person or what's what's called the social determinants of health, by by giving 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 babies and young children adolescents a ladder out of poverty, we may actually bend or break the curve of healthcare costs going forward, and really re- return to sort of America as a place of opportunity, not just for those upper middle class and rich people who who got fair benefits and don't have to worry about a meal, but for everyone. I it's it's a significant. It, literally, that tax benefit alone cuts child poverty with kids under eighteen in half. So, John, the president got on TV and to tout this plan, and also he said that he wants people to be able to be approaching normalcy for the Fourth of July, otherwise known as Independence Day. What do you? What are your plans, John? 
Well, I, I I got I got lucky. I got pulled off a backup list and got vaccinated. So I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be I'll be socializing, but I'll be socializing outdoors. I'm I'm a little nervous, David, that the the virus has plateaued. And historically, where it's plateaued, uh, it is sometimes sometimes bounced up. If you look at Europe, which is typically led us by you know thirty uh, by by you know twenty to thirty days. Uh, they plateaued and and they are seeing a pop up in uh, in 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 COVID growth. But I'm cautiously optimistic that the with 30 percent of the of the country vaccinated, we've got more momentum behind it and an administration that kind of knows how to get vaccines out. So I'm I I think the president's probably right. What about you? Well, John, before the pandemic hit, there was a rating that showed you know, how well different countries were prepared for the pandemic. And it showed the US at the top. We had all the things in place, you know, compared to other places. And you see that, of course, that we, did, we didn't go there. But we have all those, still have all those advantages uh, now. And I think what you see is uh, government now doing the right set of things so that we can try to get the pandemic behind us. I thought the president was right in his caution about saying, you know, here's something to look forward to, because I think we don't want to be negative, you know, uh, you know, excessively negative. The pandemics do eventually end, but also, you know, setting the right setting the right goal and saying, you know, have a, a low key uh, party on the fourth. I like to do that, John. I plan to be uh, outside on the fourth of July, and I hope I don't get Lyme disease or something by getting bit by a tick uh, when the virus, uh, you know, passes me by. And I'm hoping I will be vaccinated by then, and I I, I, I think I will be. All right, John, we'll end up with some fireworks next time. But that's it for the latest edition of Care Talk. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you didn't like it or you did, please leave us your comments. Thanks for listening.